Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 2016 film, The Benzodiazepine Medical Disaster, as the name implies, is a documentary about the risks inherent with a class of medication that is prescribed. Uh, joining us today to discuss many of the themes of the film is Dee Foster with, no, your um, site you had mentioned recently changed. So I'm gonna yeah, um, the intro. So what, what um, fill us in on that. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on the show, Brian. Yes. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I, I run an organization called Easing Anxiety and it's at easinganxiety.com. Um, and it actually incorporates a previous site of mine, which was benzofree.org. Um, and so that is now part of that. And I also host the Benzo Free podcast and I'm the author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality Withdrawal. Um, I'm a survivor of benzodiazepines, um, took them for 12 years, and I am now six and a half years Benzo Free. Well, good deal, good deal. Thank you, thank you so much for being here today. I, I appreciate sure, it's it. It's my pleasure. Um, now, I do want to mention, like I said, this podcast is about you know resources and education and information. So I do want to mention a couple of resources up front of the undoubtedly many resources that we'll be discussing today. Um, I know that there is a crisis, uh, actually a at least a couple different crisis text lines in the U.S. You can text home H O M E to seven four one. 741. In the UK, you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. Depending on where you are in the world, um, check your local listings, um, as they say. Um, so again, thank you for being here today. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. You want me to mention a few resources for what I'm speaking on? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, let me throw those in if you don't mind. Um, benzodiazepines, of course, is a, we'll talk about this, is, is a unique um, situation for many people. And thus, unfortunately, some people in the medical community aren't as educated on it. Um, some really good resource sites. Number one is the Ashton Manual. Um, this is the manual that most people have used and found very helpful if they choose to withdraw from benzodiazepines. It can be found at um, benzo.org.uk slash manual. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> um, and then, of course, BIC is actually another excellent organization, Benzodiazepine Information Coalition. Oh, absolutely. Which can be found at benzoinfo.com. And another excellent one is excellent one is the Alliance of Benzodiazepine Best Practices, which it can be found at benzoreform.org. Um, just those few, I think, are the first ones I mentioned. Of course, my site, easinganxiety.com and benzofree.org are also good sites for information. And Vic is easy to remember also because of the the, the pen or the, the surfboard. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's, it's a catchy acronym. It works really well for yeah. us. Um, now, one thing um, I, I did want to mention up front, for those who may be listening, and we had obviously talked about this prior to going on air, is there, and I just want to emphasize that there's nothing that you said and, and you know, nothing that will be discussed today that is in any way... Um, and, and I'm, not, I'm not a fan of the term pill shaming, but I just want to emphasize none of that will be discussed today. I, right. I'm not a fan of giving people grief for their recovery choices, whatever that looks like. So if there's um, those in the listening audience who have a medication plan worked out and it works great, you know, you know Absolutely. support you in yeah. that. So, so none of what's being discussed is to give you grief or make you feel horrible for your, your for your healthcare choice. No, I totally agree. In fact, benzodiazepines are still useful in certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, we are not at all proponing banning or you know reducing those for people who 
have not found problems with them or don't seeking that. So, or aren't seeking that. Um, one of the things we always try to emphasize is that if people choose to withdraw, you know, they need to work with their physician. Um, and here's other sources to also find information. But we are not a supplement for a, for a physician or a physician-led withdrawal. Nobody should ever um, withdraw or taper medication without um, medical assistance. Correct. And, and, I, and I always like to emphasize that up, up front because apparently, and, and I, I'm Thankfully, I, I've not encountered it, but I, I have been told by different guests who come on who are talking about bipolar or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever um, they're dealing with, that they've been ashamed and attacked. And, and, and that's, you know, that, that sucks. I mean, that's a, cra does, that's a, that's a crappy thing to do. And, it and, and, a lot. Yeah. And, and the thing that gets me is it's done almost like unilaterally because the people who are involved with what you're doing. And I, I, I say this as someone myself who is involved with um, different groups and whatnot, it does not go on in a lot of benzo education groups. They just don't have that negative energy. It, it's, and so it, it does go on, unfortunately, but it seems to be going on with people who are unilaterally taking it upon themselves to give people grief for you know, it brings up a good topic because one of the mm -hmm. situations that um, most people who are dealing with benzodiazepine dependence and withdrawal mm -hmm. face is also being thrown in the bucket as addiction. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And and you're familiar with this, I know. Um, we're often thrown into the opioid, you know, mix to other drugs that are cause, you know, um, addictive, addictive situations. And the truth is, and this is a fact, this is a medical science, most of the people's problems with benzodiazepines is actually a physical dependence and not addiction it can be addiction and there are people who do become psychologically addicted to benzodiazepines mm -hmm. but it's rare most of the time it's actually a physical dependence it's a physiological change that happens within our bodies mm -hmm. that makes it very difficult for us to come off these drugs and even can provide symptoms while we're on them and thank you for mentioning that because I, and i just wanted to emphasize that for those listening is my experience um, off mic and, and part of the show dealing yeah. dealing with you and, and with others is that you and others are, are very understanding and very compassionate and very empathetic and a lot of the you know unfortunate uh, you know pill shaming that goes on is not done right and in, in, in this context it's just, it's just not and so I, I just wanted to just you know and it might be unnecessary to to belabor the point but I, I always no it's a, it's a good topic and I'm, I'm happy to talk about anything yeah. it's I know it exists in a lot of psychiatric drug, drug situation and it exists in benzodiazepines too. Yeah. Um, you know, many, uh, there are people that are coming off benzos who look at somebody else who's taking benzos and still believes that they're helping them. And yes, there can be strong opinions around that. Um, we just don't focus on that. Our goal is to help people who are having problems with them and to help advise people up front and educate the medical establishment that there can be long-term consequences. One of the things that helped us just recently was, it was last fall, the FDA came out with its second black box warning on benzodiazepines. The first one was actually a warning regarding the co-use with um, opioids and other medications like that because there's a lot of severity that can actually be life-threatening when it's used in combination. This new one was actually specifically about long-term use and the effects of dependence and withdrawal something we've been wanting for 50 years since these drugs came yeah, out. Yeah. But finally, the FDA and other medical establishments and more and more medical professionals are recognizing the dangers of long-term use. Mm -hmm. And that with, with certain exceptions, but for most people, long-term use can lead to complications and some of them can be very, very severe. Mm 
And True. it's something to keep in mind. Correct. Because one of the, the things that I, ha that I have a hard time with is that it, it seems to be universally acknowledged mm -hmm. that mental health, mental illness, uh, care and treatment sucks. It, it, just, it just does. It sucks. And yet, when there's someone who kind of, you know, speaks up to say, okay, well, here's something that, you know, we can approve upon. Here's something that is, is suitable for, for, for dialogue. That, that person can expect to be attacked and criticized and told, Understand that. you know, and, and that just makes no sense to me because if something doesn't resonate with someone, you know, fine, you yeah. know, the world is big enough for me to be having a friendly conversation with someone about benzodiazepines, but it's also big enough for me to be having a conversation with someone who's got a good plan worked out with their doctor and they've got their medication, you know, sure. you know what I mean? I don't find that. Absolutely. And I, I, at all. You know, this is actually a good example. And I'll tell you one that's going on right now. And this might, this feeds what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, on them from 12 years, um, tapered for 18 months. I'm six years off the medication, still have protracted symptoms. It was literally the worst experience of my life. And it lasted yeah. for years and is still going on. Um, for some of us, that is the case. The good news is, it's the minority of people who get protracted withdrawal. There are people who come off this medication with little or no complications. Not everybody goes through it. But I have every reason to hate these drugs and to hate the doctors that prescribe them. Yeah. Um, but just recently, I've been going through a very difficult situation with my parents. And their, their whole life has deteriorated, had not accepted help for a long time. And I finally have to suddenly get them into a facility, get them the care. My father has Alzheimer's. My mom has some dementia. It's been yeah. going on for a while. One of the things that happened recently was my father um, was prescribed clonazepam. That happened to be my benzo that I took for 12 yeah. years. Yeah. Every reason to react and say, oh my God, no. But in his situation, this drug probably makes sense. He is nearing the end of his life. He's 89 years old. He's in late stage Alzheimer's. He's becoming aggressive somewhat. Mm -hmm. He's becoming depressed, having difficulties. This medication might be okay for him. Now it has complications. It can lead to falls, fractures. We have to know about the complications, but you have to, in my opinion, you have to look at the whole picture mm -hmm. as to whether a medication makes sense or not. And that's I am not a physician. I am not a medical professional. I am not the one who can make those decisions for yeah. anybody. Yeah. And I always make sure I always make that clear. Um, but like in my father's case, they decided to prescribe that to him and it, it made sense in the situation. I don't know if I'm right or wrong, yeah. but I'm still open to the fact that medications help people. It's a fact. Some can be overprescribed. That's a fact. Yeah. And we can all work together and try to improve this situation. Yeah, ab absolutely. Because, you know, that, you know, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And that's why I wanted to have you on to, to, to bring this, this topic, you know, to the forefront. I, yeah. I, I really don't like how there's a, there's like a, a sentiment or perception that this is in, in many ways a, um, you know, non-mainstream, which unfortunately in a way it sort of is, but it shouldn't be that way. This is something no. that should be openly talked about with, all, you know, with every major mental health organization. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems to be almost like, uh, you know, treated like the, you know, pardon, pardon the phrase, but you know, the, the, right. the crazy uncle in the basement. It's, it's, that's the way it's, it's talked about. And, yeah. and it is. And it is. And it's one of those things where I think you personally, each one of us has to decide how we want to make changes. 
Um, for some people, it's becoming more of an activist and vocal. And I'm not that type of person. It's just not how I am. I'm more of the support person. And so my job was just to come out and say, hey, these, there's a lot of people in need. And a lot of people who have gone through what I've gone through are even worse. And they yeah. desperately need support. Yeah. And I can do that while working with medical organizations, state health boards, to actually make changes. And by arguing against them and taking an opposing point yeah. really doesn't make a lot of progress for me. Yeah. One of the recent ex examples is actually in BIC, the organization I mentioned, Benzodiazem Information Coalition, yeah. also Alliance for Benzodiazem Best Practices and other ones have gotten involved in a grassroots effort that we've done here in Colorado. Um, we formed a group, me and some other friends, called Benzo Wise Colorado. And we happened to, one of them, one of the people on that, John, actually knew the director of the Colorado Department of Health and um, Public Health and Environment. We got to meet her, it evolved, it pulled in the um, CU um, Department of Health and I mean, Colorado University's hospital organization, all the different organizations, pharmacologists. We now have this benzodiazepine action work group and it pulled from organizations throughout the country creating, now we're looking at building a clinic. We're looking, I mean, establishing a clinic, establishing guidelines, establishing support networks, peer networks, and this is actively moving forward because we're working with the establishment instead of against mm -hmm. them. And I decided to take that step because I felt that was gonna make more of a difference in actually providing help and support. Definitely, and, and that uh, public policy piece of it is something that I, that I just think is, is so important because we're at a, at a point in, in, our, in our country, in our world, where there's you know those those dialogues about oh you know the, the you know wh where do we want the funds going to and even yeah. w you know, whether whether with the homeless or the um, jailed in, in, in there's so population. many needs there's so much exactly. need out there yeah that this just dovetails in with that yeah. and and it does and it does I think I think the frustration with both men this affects mental health as a whole as you know but for benzodiazepine too is the the lack of knowledge and the lack of awareness that this is even a problem going on. And it's been a problem. I mean, these drugs were created 50 years ago, um, back in the 60s. And even in 1979, Senator Ted Kennedy spoke in front of a, a, a Senate subcommittee warning of the severe dangers of benzodiazepines, and nothing happened. And so we've known about this problem for a long time. The fact that we're now starting to make some real differences is great. But I think what I'm trying to say is I do understand people's frustrations. Um, nothing breaks my heart more than the, the number of emails. And I get hundreds of emails that come into me about, I talked to my doctor and my doctor insisted there's no problem. My doctor insisted these symptoms have nothing to do with the drugs. My doctor insisted that I need to stay on this the rest of my life. My, yeah. Just constantly. And, yeah. and it makes you angry at the medical establishment. How could yeah. you not be in their situation? So when I say that I'm trying to work with them, it's not because I'm saying that they know everything and they know what they're doing. When it comes to benzodiazepines, they need to be better educated. And that's what we're working on doing. But I'm trying to change the system from within instead of, you know, outside, I think is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. And, and, I, and that's that cooperative approach, you know, where there's dialogue and yeah. um, coalition, I think that is, you know, a more effective way than, you know, attacking people for their you know healthcare choices and exactly. giving them yeah. so, and like yeah. I said, and I just, I just want to emphasize it again because none of what you're saying 
is it i don't see how anyone could construe it as giving people grief for their i hope so <laughs> i hope not because that's not my intent yeah um, exactly. i mean the truth the truth in my heart is like i'm just a, a nice guy and yeah. i kind of i like everybody so I, i'm not looking to create enemies trust me yeah. it's just not what i do so yeah well let me ask you i know this will sound like a, i hope it doesn't sound like an incredibly naive question but no, go ahead the first time i i had this prescribed I'm talking about, um, I don't remember if it was, yeah, it was um, Clonopin, first time it was. Okay, yep. I was out like a log for like mm. three days, like a whole weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and that, it kind of, you know, the honeymoon period you oh, know, yeah. wore off, like, you know, within a few months at the most. But it got me thinking, though, when you've got something that has that sedative an effect, and I've been prescribed different sleep medication which did right. not have a comparable um experience with why have why aren't these medications being prescribed for sleep purposes because because from a from a pharmaceutical perspective they actually are they, they are quite okay. often yeah um insomnia is one of the primary um, reasons why they are prescribed um, let me back up real quick. For those people who don't know, benzodiazepine class of drugs, I just want to mention real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, did, did I mention and, that at the top of the show? As yeah, as... I just want to mention um, yeah. drugs that are in this cast by the brand name would be Clonopin, um, Ativan, Xanax, Valium, um, Librium. Um, Z drugs also, which are non-benzodiazepines, also fall into similar category. And those include Zoloft, Lunesta, um, and some other ones that I'm not pulling it right now. I've got a cough here. Hang on a second. Oh, no, no worries. There, I muted that. Hopefully it didn't okay, come through. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to mention what drugs these are. So when we mentioned clonazepam, that's the generic for clonopin, as you said. Mm -hmm. So clonopin, it's a brand name. That's the one I was on. I just wanted to make sure people knew what benzodiazepines, because a lot of people don't even know that Xanax is a benzodiazepine. Um, and it's the most widely prescribed of all of them. Um, when you mentioned this about falling about being sleepy, one of the other problems too is that Valium is kind of the, um, uh, not the original because Librium came before it, but Valium is one of the standards we use for measuring the, um, the potency of most of these drugs. Yeah. Um, there are three drugs, Clonopin, Xanax, and um, Halcyon, which are the strongest of all, okay? And they is all... that where whenever is that where that where that figure of speech came from? You know the Halcyon days. Have you ever heard that, that yep. term? Halcyon's oh, also Halcyon been days. banned in the UK now already, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's been banned other places. So it's one that's had already severe problems. But one of the problems is that those three drugs are twenty times as potent as Valium. Yeah. So one milligram of clonopin equals twenty milligrams of um, of Valium. Yeah. Yeah. or diazepam would be the generic yeah. name. Now those differ depending on your source and some say it's 15, some say it's 20, it depends. But when you mentioned clonopin, one of the reasons is that's a very strong drug. Even if you were started on 0.5 milligrams, which I'm guessing, yeah. um, that's still 10 milligrams of Valium that you took. And 0.5 milligram is the smallest clonopin pill you can take. And yes, they are very effective at treating insomnia. They're usually prescribed for anxiety, insomnia, seizures, um, they even, even started to be prescribed for pain and for muscle problems because they're also excellent muscle relaxants. I, I wanted to just interject something, and this is, uh -huh. uh, this is, I guess, a good thing or a bad, I don't know if it's kind of neutral, but one of my um, long-term goals of the podcast is to get the episodes transcribed, which okay. I'm fortunate that I have not done that yet because we're mentioning brand names and 
that's something that could be problematic if the episode were transcribed. So, um, and I understand that. It's, and yeah. I, I'm careful to mention that these are brand names of them. I mentioned them sure. only because most people don't know the generic names mm-hmm. of these mm-hmm. drugs. And so I do the same thing on my podcast. And just like you said, I've been looking to transcribe it also, yeah. and I know that can raise <laughs> problems. So, yeah. I mean, we're, I'm on my like 74th episode now. Yeah, yeah. And I, so, yeah. Um, I'm careful too, but at the same point, I can't talk about this without mentioning the brand names. Exactly, and, and I would think it would be, you know, the you know the the media bosses who oversee stuff yeah. that's posted. I'm hoping that they would be, uh, you know, mindful of that. that and, and I hope so too. And I hope you realize because I'm I never really attack the pharmaceutical industry yeah. or physicians on my show. Yeah. I wish both of those groups would be a little more responsible. Yeah. But I'm not attacking them. I'm, there are drugs that we need. You know, there yeah. are drugs that are created we need. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm not one who's out there, you know, going after those. Yeah. Um, I want to work with them to try mm-hmm. to make some changes for these yeah, things. Absolutely. And the truth is, there's not a lot of pharmaceutical push behind these drugs anymore because most benzodiazepines are now all generic. And they don't ha- they, they're not making the money off these drugs. The push really isn't there. That's one of the surprising things that benzodiazepines are still being prescribed so much because there isn't the marketing push from most of the companies anymore. Yeah. It's more just become, I think the general practitioners and 90% of all benzos are prescribed by GPs, mm-hmm. not by psychiatrists. Yeah. And that they're, it's seven minutes on average with a patient they come in looking for help and here's a pill we can prescribe quickly and it's effective in the short term. Because yeah. one of the things, and it's funny you mentioned that because one of the things that I, that I have a problem with, and, uh-huh. and again, for those who are in meds, I'm, I'm not making any, any comments about, you know, like that I support you in, in, in your treatment options. But one thing yeah. that I have a problem with is the overly commercialization uh, and, and the commercialized nature of so many um you know medications if someone's watching tv uh, you know they could see on on a you know an average tv episode two or three or more yeah commercials and that's and that's going to be the one that when they're at their appointment with their psychiatrist or doctor whoever that's what they're going to ask to be prescribed because you have a commercial where people are playing volleyball or they're at some art, whatever's on that TV commercial. And those are the ones that get prescribed because they've got the exposure and the visibility. And they're the ones who have their, their logos on the baseball stadium signs and whatnot. You know know what I mean? So it's like that kind of, those get pushed to the top of the, you know, prescribe me list. And then you have other medications that could, be maybe just as effective, but they don't have the... It's not, not something I'm a fan of, um, <laughs> personally. <laughs> um, again, I'm not trying to be negative, but yeah. um, ever since that was it a DCPA, whatever the legislation was, or DPCA, whatever it was that came mm. out uh, about 10 years ago that allowed television advertising mm. of pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I'm not trying to take a political stance here, but unfortunately yeah. it did increase the usage of a lot of medication yeah. and it did lead yeah. to some overprescribing of yeah. some medications. Yeah. Um, and that has become a problem for, for many people. So again, I'm not saying, you know, which side here I'm on or anything. I'm yeah. just saying that this has led to complications. Now, right. in, uh, inevitably though, um, and we're recording this 2021, obviously. And uh-huh. um, I know when you're listening to this, it might not be 2020, it might be, you know, next year or, or the year after. <laughs> uh, but ideally science and medicine being what it is, why wouldn't there be an expectation that, you know, five, 10, 15 years from now, 
there wouldn't be more um, effective, um, you know, whether pharmaceutical means or other means it's, to it's possible. It's because possible. You, you, because you put the, in the context of you know COVID nineteen and the, the COVID nineteen you know vaccine, just to, you know for point of reference, what was it less than a year? Where they have, and obviously I'm not comparing, you know, COVID-19 to, um, you know, and any mental disorders, but just in the context of having all hands on deck, why why know. isn't there it's, a comparable? Think, because there's there's a lot of money being left on the table. There is, and I think it's I think two things, and I'm, again, I'm not a medical professional, so yeah. I'm guessing at this, but one is. Um, it's far more complicated. The human body is just not yeah. simple. Um, we are very complicated. Very few medications that have ever been developed have had zero side effects. True. It's just a factor. And I, I believe in, in my opinion that when you decide to take a medication via with a physician's assistance, you have to decide whether the side effects outweigh the benefits. I think that's every medication comes down to that. Are the benefits, do they outweigh the side effects? Um, or potential side effects. Like with benzodiazepines, the initial side effects are, are minor. Long-term side effects could be major. Um, but that's where the education comes in. And that's one of the reasons why um, on the benzodiazepine world, we focus a lot on informed consent. Um, a lot of people have been fighting to try to get informed consent legislation so that physicians are required to inform of the possible complications of these drugs when they are prescribed. Most people are not. I was never informed that there was even a possibility of dependence. Yeah. Um, so most of us are not warned of that. I do think we need to be better at educating the patient so the patient with the physician can make the best decision for their care. One of the, well, one of the things on that, on that point, one of the things that I've noticed, and this was, um, I had the filmmakers of Medicating Normal on um, a, few, yeah, a few months ago. I had ago. them on my show too. Yeah, <laughs> really, really awesome people. Um, and um, But there was a, a part in there where in terms of the, with what you're stating about the, um, the warnings and the informed consent, it seems like the pharmacist who they were talking to knew more about the medication than whoever was prescribing it. That kind of struck out, that kind of struck in my mind is, and it's, yeah, it's the pharmacist. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's true um, for a lot of these medications. Um, yeah. One thing we have to realize is that most physicians, ongoing education, in my opinion, needs to be improved. A lot of physicians' ongoing education is from the pharmaceutical companies themselves. Um, you know, but the salespeople come into the door, um, conferences and stuff like that. So not saying these are all lies. What I'm saying is they're only getting information from one side. They're not getting the information from like the patient or from long-term effects or from the side effects side of things. And we, we need to improve that. Correct. I had a psychiatric nurse. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be uploaded after this one or before this one, but I, I, I specifically made a note of, of asking her, well, what about patients who decide they don't want to go down, you know, the, the road as far as prescribing? And she was absolutely supportive of yeah. people. And, and, and yet she's in an environment where it doesn't seem to be as ac acceptable, if that makes sense. I, I agree. I agree. And I think that's, I think it's something that's slowly changing. Um, the number of people that I deal with who have been polydrug and that, you know, on multiple psychiatric medications at once. And sometimes we're talking seven, eight drugs at once. Um, their stories are just um, horrendous. And yeah. for them, I can't, I, you know, I don't know how they got in that situation. I mean, I, I can see how it happens. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my standpoint is 
I do think psychiatric medication can help in certain circumstances. I also think it could be overprescribed and people can wind up in severe distress because of it. And we just need to, like you said, take away the stigma of, you know, medication shaming and things like that and just say, wait a minute, we got a problem. You know, some people need medication, some people probably don't. We need to better analyze, better educate, and make sure we understand, you know, what medications are appropriate for, mm-hmm. for what situations and for what people. And unfortunately, we don't do enough of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and that's one of the things that I appreciate w- w- the work you're doing is that you're not in the whole pro anti, you know, you're not asking anyone to take sides. You're strictly focused on, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're focused on. And I think that approach is much more beneficial and much more helpful and supportive for well, people. And the, the truth is I'm not a medical professional. Yeah. I, I'm not a pharmacist. Yeah. I've never done these. I mean, I did a lot of reading. I wrote a book yeah. on it. I did a lot of research, oh. but I still don't have formal training in this area. So yeah. I'm not going to pretend I know the answers or I know the right thing. Yeah. What I can say is a lot of people are suffering. And I want to try to help them. And I want to try to make sure that other people don't wind up in the same situation. And like you mentioned with COVID and everything else going on, anxiety is going through the roof. And unfortunately, many people are being prescribed benzodiazepines because of this. Um, Or other psychiatric medications, SSRIs, SNRIs. Um, And none of these come without side effects or complications. I think this is something where we have to better educate doctors you know so they can educate patients and so that everybody has the information going in and don't just blindly keep prescribing well when i was first prescribed i don't know if if this was true to you Mm -hmm. for you as well but there was no um outlet for it like if i had any problems with it right there was did you encounter the same thing where there was not there was not anywhere to to really turn yeah because the thing is for me um I mean, I took it for 11 of the 12 years mm-hmm. without even knowing there was a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I was prescribed it by my general, physi- general physician. He said, no problem. I took it. I took it regularly. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was really helping me that much. I just took it because I was supposed to. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, and it wasn't until I went to a new physician at one point and she said, oh, by the way, you need to come off that. Let me prescribe Selexa for you or whatever. Prozac, I think was the time mm-hmm. to help you come off it. I'm thinking, okay, well, why would I need help? And I went online. Um, unfortunately, for a lot of benzodiazepine people, that is the start of their panic attack. Because um, you go online and you read horror story after horror story after horror story. Because unfortunately, people who post are the ones who are having the most severe problems. Mm-hmm. Um, Benzo Buddies is perhaps the, is the most popular website out there. And that's the one most people come across first. Mm-hmm. It's great in providing information. People can you know, find out information about benzos, can see other people's stories. Unfortunately, it also can create a lot of fear and create a lot of anxiety, which then just exacerbates the entire problem. So it's, it's important for them to, when, when, when you first find out is how you find out. And for me, going online to a more respected site like BenzoFree, like BIC, like um, the Alliance, they're a little bit better at helping to educate you and helping you realize, hey, you can manage this, you can get through this. You know, honestly, the best thing, and I just want to mention it one more time, is the Ashton Manual. Um, you can learn more about it at my site, benzofree.org slash Ashton, or you can go to benzo.org.uk slash manual. This single manual has helped more people withdraw safely from benzodiazepines than all other things combined tenfold. Um, it was created by, Dr. by Professor Heather Ashton in the UK. Um, she has now recently passed last year. 
Um, but most people who have found a way to come off these drugs have done it through her manual. And what's wonderful about this manual is it doesn't generate the fear that some of the sites do. She actually can tell you how severe this is. And at the same time, convince you that you can do this. And that's the beauty of this manual. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so effective. And the one of the reasons that anybody you speak to in the Benz organization, they're going to always come back to the Ashton manual. And it's in many ways a uh, counterpart to, or, or a polar opposite of the uh, DSM in yeah. many ways. It's, it's like, instead of that, you know, it's, it is. it's, it's, right. an, it's I, an answer to the, to the DSM in many ways. Yeah. I got the DSM four CR <laughs> behind me. So I, I, I look it up every now and then, but uh, it is. And, and you mentioned the film at the beginning of um, yeah. Shane Kenny's film, the Benzodiazepine yeah. medical disaster. Ashton is in that she is, she and, she is. Um, and professor later are the two primary people that have been interviewed for that. So if you want to know more about her, that film is an excellent, excellent one to go check out. And, and, and you mentioned that because one of the things that and again, I alluded to this a little earlier is I don't, I don't really don't like when there's doctors, psychiatrists, whoever, who, who speak up, you know, raise your hand and yeah. go, uh, guys, is this, you know, and then they're attacked. Yeah. They're attacked. I know. They're, and they're, they're not just attacked, but accused of jeopardizing people's health, jeopardizing their, their, and their well-being. And it does happen. You know, a, and, perfect, ex a perfect example is... Um, Dr. Stephen Wright, and I can use his name because he's publicly been involved in this, but he's a physician that was here in Colorado, has moved on to Oregon now, retired or semi-retired, but he was an addiction medical specialist um, for many years. And he now, not only has, has he traveled the world educating people on the dangers of opioids, he now also does it for benzodiazepines. And his initial speech, which I love, whenever he gets up and speaks in front of a group of people, he announces himself as, I'm a reformed prescriber speaking to opioids and benzodiazepines that yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. And he apologizes. Yeah. And it's amazing because I mean, people start to weep. I start to weep when I hear that. And suddenly he is one of us and he is working with us, but he's not working against the medical establishment, but he's working to transform them and help educate them to understand the dangers of these drugs. Yeah. And so that, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of excellent physicians and medical professionals out there who are making a difference. The members of our benzodiazepine action work group here in Boulder, these, many of these people are, are physicians and they're here, they see the problem um, and they're working the problem and helping to make a difference to improve things. So I think it's the whole black or white thinking and you, I think are going to this too of the extremes. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know, they're, they're, this is not black or white, this is gray, okay? They're, these drugs can help some people these drugs can also create a nightmare of withdrawal for other people. It's not black or white. Are they overprescribed sometimes? Absolutely. And we need to work to change that. Should all these drugs be banned? No, they can still be helpful. Um, benzodiazepines are excellent for alcohol detox and they still need to be used and be available in a short term um, situation for that. So these drugs are still helpful in certain circumstances. We just need to have the education of what those circumstances are better, better publicized. Yeah, and and that's what boggles my mind is that there's nothing that you're saying at all that's problematic to me, or, or I hope not. at all. <laughs> at all. And, and there's other areas, not. there's other areas in the you know the wild and wonderful world of mental health that are equally as inoffensive and as unproblematic as what you're talking about, and yet it it feels like 
you've got these two sides it that does. are like i i don't see i don't see where where the conflict or or you know what i mean it's like there's yeah i, I kind of see it i mean mental health there's few things i think in in life other than mental health and our mental state that are more terrifying yeah to to have a problem with um when you can't think straight when you're fearful when anxiety is running your life um it is beyond overwhelming and when something that severely has affected you and you don't believe you were responsible for this, which many ca that's cases, that's not the case. It's, it was prescribed to you unwillingly or whatever, or, or unknowingly of its consequences. It's natural to get angry. It's natural to take offense. It's natural to want to, you know, seek um, some kind of fairness. And I don't want to say vengeance, but I'm saying, yeah. you know, some retribution for what's been done to you. That yeah. to me is natural. And I totally understand that. And all the people who write into me, I respect that. And that is their right. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, I just chose to take a different path. Um, when I went back to my physician who prescribed it and I said, look, I learned about these. I would like to come off them now. He said, you don't need to stay on them. You know, so I have every reason to hate this person, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just a lack of education. So I'm working to try to change things otherwise. But I understand the anger. I understand the strong opinions. Um, I had them too and still have them in many areas. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think that was making a difference. And I think trying to work with them, for me, helped me make more of a difference. And it is, it's becoming, we're making a difference right now. So. Yeah, absolutely. What, what uh, trends or, yeah, I guess it would be the right word, trend, trends do you see, you know, moving into the future in the next upcoming year and in, into, you know, the future for mental health over overall oh, no as far as uh as far as benzos and and um, the um and, and the the awareness of, of of that we're making progress um i i see that slowly and unfortunately it will be very slowly but we are going to provide more clinics available that are specified um that are specific to benzodiazepines one of the big complications is that most detox and rehab facilities are not equipped to handle benzodiazepine withdrawal, um, primarily due to the length um, of withdrawal, which can last years for some people, and also due to the addiction terminology. Uh, most of us are dealing with dependence, which is a different thing to deal with than addiction. Um, it's not a craving. We actually yeah. have a physical dependence that makes it, that creates symptoms when we withdraw. Mm -hmm but we don't usually have a craving for the drug. You're not gonna often yeah. see people scoring benzos too often, you know, yeah. are yeah. trying to do that. So I see that with a new FDA rule that came out with a new FDA black box warning that came out last fall and the progress that's being made and a lot of grassroots efforts, like, and I keep mentioning Vic and Alliance and other ones, yeah. we're making progress. And I do see things starting to change and the education starting to get out there. And I think we're gonna slowly reduce the long-term prescribing of these drugs. <laughs> And that's our primary focus and provide support for people who are suffering with dependence. Absolutely. And, and, and I would, I would imagine that inevitably with that, as there's more education that the, um, that, that the jerks out there who, who give people grief for their, you know, <laughs> medication yeah. choices, that their, you know, rudeness and, and, you know, attack people. I think that oh, yeah. inevitably in time will, will, will stop and, and go away because. I think so. And, and, and I, I see a lot of that too, because I have yeah. people on some of our discussion groups who um, alcohol is something that is very strongly 
avoided by many people during benzodiazepine withdrawal. Yeah. Okay. It's one that some people are very, like you mentioned, this is a hot button for many people. Yeah, absolutely. And every now and then somebody will pipe in and said, well, I had a couple drinks last night and I'm in the middle of taper. And of course they're going to, they just get <laughs> And I always try to step in and say, wait a minute, this yeah. is hard enough. Yeah. The last thing you need to do is to blame yourself for mistakes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whether that was a mistake or not. And I'm not totally saying people can't withdraw and still drink. I'm not saying that. I think most people have noticed that since it acts on the same GABA receptors, there is some complication to it. But my point is, this is hard enough. We don't need to shame people. We don't need to criticize people mm -hmm. who are already going through hell. Yeah, exactly, you know, exactly. And dealing yeah. with these drugs. And that's, yeah. that's not beneficial to anyone. Exactly. You know, these are people that are facing one of the biggest challenges in their life. They need support, you know, yeah. and if they make mistakes or they don't taper right or if they cold turkey. And that's one of the things I do want to mention real quick is for those people out there listening who are on a benzodiazepine long term, please speak with your physician. Yeah, don't without, ever. Do not yeah. cold turkey, especially without medical supervision. Um, quitting cold turkey of benzodiazepines actually can be fatal in some circumstances. Okay. And can often lead to seizures. Actually, alcohol and benzodiazepines are the only two drugs, as I understand, that withdrawal can be fatal. Um, so you've got to be careful. Please work with a physician, get educated, read the Ashton Manual, and learn about this. Don't just suddenly stop taking your medication. That Absolutely. Can be very dangerous. Absolutely. Don't don't ever unilaterally no. um, do, do anything of that, of that sort. So, yeah. so I just want um, to make sure that was out there. <laughs> okay, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, because one thing that, that I, I do find frustrating is that when, when there are those who do, again, not to unilaterally make any changes, but th those who work with um, you know, a doctor to make uh, changes, there's often a knee jerk judgment and yeah. um and whatnot <clears throat> about that decision and not honoring the the, the freedom of, of that person to to right. have recovery looks because the recovery is not going to look the same for every person no it's not and and it, it, one thing i came through with all this was um i came through the idea of a partnership with my physician yeah. um i think before like many of us i blindly followed physicians advice and again i am not at all saying, do not follow physicians. Yeah, exactly. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm saying is you can seek second opinions. Yeah. You can go to a different physician and you can also say, Hey, here's the information I got from reputable sources. And I would like to work with you because I would like to come off these drugs. If that is what you choose, I am not saying people need to, I'm saying, but if you choose to withdraw, try to work with your physician. One of the things that they mentioned a lot in our world is trying to find a benzo wise doctor. Um, and that means some doctor who's educated on benzodiazepines and the yeah. complications and proper withdrawal. Well, I think that's great, but they're hard to find. My experience and experience that I've dealt with a lot of people who have written into me is to find a doctor who you trust and who will work with you. Even if that means you're educating that person on benzodiazepines, that's okay. As long as it's a physician that listens to you and will work with you on your goals. Um, I had three different physicians during my withdrawal and each one of them thought I could stay on benzodiazepines long-term and each one of them have now changed their prescribing practices because they saw what I went through as their patient. Yeah. We can make changes one at a time, one person at a time, you know, and I think if you try to work with your physician, 
Mm -hmm. um, or try to find a physician who will work with you. It's key to do this with a physician. And I know a lot of people try to do withdrawal without one, mm -hmm. but I personally suggest that you try to do this with a physician's help. You, you need them. You need them to go through this. Definitely. And, and I just want to emphasize that one of the, the, the recurring themes that, that I hear you mentioning is, is partnership and dialogue yeah. and, and, yes. um, and just working, you know, to, to, to change from within rather than trying to go it alone. But, but having that, so I just want to emphasize that that's something that I, I'm hearing loud and clear. Yeah, and, and some people don't have a choice, and I know that, and I work with them, although yeah. I can't advise them on their taper or their medication. That's one thing I always make sure I can't do. But a lot of people are forced in a position because they can't find support to do this alone. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's not the right thing to do for them. What I'm saying is, if you can, try to find a physician who you can work mm -hmm. with on this, because it's very helpful to have that person in your corner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do, do you think that over time that there will be more in-person uh, groups, you know, popping up? Yes, there already the are some good ones. Or, I know Chicago, Austin, um, and I'm talking specifically on benzodiazepines mm -hmm, right yeah. now. But I know Chicago, Austin, there's a few other ones around across the country. Um, I'm looking to get one started here in Colorado probably mid-year. Um, and of course, with COVID, a lot of these are virtual right now. <clears throat> but... I think the in-person is even better once we can get back to the ability to do that. There are few things. I think we found this with AA. We find this with um, um, prescription drug problem. There are a few things that I think support somebody more than somebody else who has been through it or who's going through it, who can Definitely. share their experiences. Probably the number one thing I think I provide to people who listen to the podcast and write to me is, is simply this. What you're going through is real. I've experienced it. This is really hard, but we're here to help you. Those words right there mean more to anybody than anything else you can do. You know, it's just the camaraderie, the, the feeling that you're not alone in this, that other people have gone through this, they've made it through, and you can too. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it is something that I, I, I always do want to emphasize for those listening. Um, wherever you are out there, whatever you're going through, you are not alone. And I know that right. may often sound cliche and depending upon what, what topics being discussed on a particular episode, but especially yeah. for those who might feel like they're being criticized for their um, healthcare choices, whatever yeah. it may look like, you are, you are not alone either. And yeah, and, and honestly, yeah. I'll tell you right now, if you go to my site, easinganxiety.com slash feedback, mm -hmm. fill out that form, it'll go directly to me. And I promise you, I will respond. I respond to every contact that's made to me. It could take me up to a week sometimes, yeah, sure. but I will respond. And I will, you know, I'll, I've, I've talked it out with people on email for over two years, many people, and we're still having a conversation about what we're going through. Um, so you're not alone. You can reach out. I'm here and check out our podcast. Um, you know, because that's that connection is that people understand. And I have people that listen to our podcast who weren't on benzos, who were just on other SSRIs or yeah. other psychiatric medications, because most of our struggles are similar. Um, while benzodiazepines have a unique issue of dependence that may not be the same as some other um, like antidepressants, still it's the side effects and the complications that can come with these drugs for some people. And for those of us going through that, you know, reach out. There are people here to help you. 
Right. And, and I do want to um, attest that you you did get back to me when we originally were in, in contact to, to schedule. I know that the past several months have been a little uh, oh, yeah. you know, up in the me. air, but yeah. uh, but I, I, I can attest that you you did uh, get back to me when I when I reached well, out thank to you. Thank you, Brian. So, <laughs> Thanks for um, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those listening, someone will say that and they're wondering, but yeah. So uh, but as we, as we wind down, I did want to mention um, a couple a couple more resources. I know that there is uh, Mental Health America, MHANational.org. There's also NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI.org. There's also MadinAmerica.com. And I, I, MadinAmerica.com, I think, may be more applicable to what we're talking about today, <laughs> I, I would imagine, just just could be could be wrong but that would <laughs> i'm not even i'm not even gonna go there <laughs> yeah no I, I have no problem with mad in no. america it does no. what it does yeah I, not, you know it's it's i do something different yeah <laughs> you know and so. i look at that i kind of mentioned just to keep all all bases covered kind of be equal Absolutely. equal time so and i and i and i agree i'm totally about that and, yeah. and anything i mentioned here today of course yeah. i want to make sure everybody knows is my opinion Duh. um and that i'm not a medical professional so this, I'm just somebody who went through benzodiazepine withdrawal, did some research, studied up on it, and I now dedicated all my time to helping people going through the same or people dealing with anxiety. Our site also helps people just with general anxiety issues and not just benzodiazepine. So please check us out if you get a chance. Yeah, Lane, can you get, remind us again where, where, where to find that? Yeah, it's easinganxiety.com easy, anxiety, is, is okay. the website. Yep. And from there, you can get to everything else. We have two YouTube channels, one for easing anxiety um, and one for benzo free. And but you can find both of those from that website. Good deal. Good deal. Well, well thanks. Thanks you so much for being here today. I, I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Brian. This has been a pleasure. I could we could keep chatting I think, for another three hours here. <laughs> yeah. It go, yeah. And I would uh, probably go off on too many tangents. And you know, yeah. and that's that's never me going off on tangents is never a good. Well, thing, I just so. might be writing you back and see if you want to be on my podcast here pretty soon. So I'm gonna have you possibly, over yeah. Point. I would I, love to. It'd be interesting to get your take on mental health overall and what you've been dealing with for our benzodiazepine population. I'd like to get that take on things. Okay, I, 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 possibly I, I think about it. We'll talk about uh, it, we'll yeah, talk like about I, it. No guarantees okay. here, we'll talk okay. about it. Okay. Okay. Not putting you on the spot. Okay, <laughs> and on mic too, so that's pretty brave. That's pretty brave because we're still on mic, so. I know we um, And that's one of the joys of the podcasting, you know, because you're listening, obviously this is, you know, not going out live, but those listening, yeah. You know, where else are you going to hear this? <laughs> you know, know, where else are you going to hear something like this? You listen to a podcast and you've got this level of uh, candor. Where else are you going to hear it? Yeah, or I don't not? know if you did this or not. When I first did my first few podcasts, because some of my interviews and a lot of them aren't, yeah. I edited them like crazy. Yeah. I mean, I edited it really down. I thought it had to be polished. Yeah. And over time, I learned from the audience that, no, they want it raw. Yeah, they don't want it edited. They want the mistakes in there. And so now I barely edit my stuff, at least on the podcast. I yeah. just I just talk and that's what they want to hear. And yeah. I, I love it. So it's more real that way. I yeah. Think. So for those who are listening, you know, to the very end, you get an extra bonus for, you know, there you go. it's almost like, you know, you know how like Bob Dylan had those little those bootleg series where you had like, you know, a song that had like, you know, eight takes of like, you know, yeah. song. And you're like a seventh, seventh take or eight take and you hear him still talking, even though the song's done. That's uh -huh. sort of what it feels like. You know, like <laughs> the after conversation yeah know? yeah and they started to, are still recording and there's yeah so um so thanks thank you for, for being here um thank you those of you at home or wherever you may be and uh talk with you talk, thanks for listening and talk with you next time yeah thanks brian uh, my bye. pleasure bye.